0: Welcome to the snowboarding podcast. All I really need to know I learned from snowboarding. I'm Chris Rogers. And I'm Nick Alfieri. This is the
1: podcast where myself and Chris talk about all the life lessons we've learned from snowboarding, not just the good ones, but some of the struggles we've had along the way. So please stay tuned for this week's episode. Okay, this week's episode is a follow up from last week's episode, which we actually thought we were going to get to this topic, but we ended up on a little bit of a tangent due to, um, I think that was my fault a little bit. (laughs) Um, But this week we're going to follow up with how to manage fear and healthy risk in your students. We talked a lot about how to manage it in ourselves last week, but really the topic is not only that, but how to also do that as a teacher and with our students, people who depend on us sometimes to do those assessments for them because they might not have the ability.
0: Right. I think, you know, talk, last week we talked about like standing at the top of a jump or, or heading into some trees and you're making that assessment in your head. Do I have the skill to do this? Am I like, what are the risks? What are the rewards? Do I want, do I want to do this at the end of the day? And that changes a little bit because of our role as a mentor, as an instructor, as a leader. And and people may put a larger emphasis on what we say than what that voice is telling them, right? So it's one thing when it's you in your own head at the top of a park saying, do I want to hit this? What are the risks? What are the reward? It's another thing when you're standing at the top of the park and you have another voice next to you, somebody that you look up to, somebody who is maybe in a coach role or an instructor role to you, Who says, yes, you have the ability to do this. So now you've got two voices. You've got the one in your head saying, I don't know if I have this ability. And you have this other voice saying, yeah, you got this. Mm -hmm. That changes the equation quite a bit from just managing fear for yourself. And so we as instructors are often in that mentor role. We have inexperienced people who we're telling them they have the ability to do this. Or maybe it's the other way. They want to go do something risky and we're the ones telling them, hey, cool your jets. We may not be ready for this just yet.
1: So... I noticed this, what you're talking about, in different types of students. And I actually just recently had some students that hadn't actually had a lot of experience with things that were risky or doing sports that had an element of danger to them. And they weren't very experienced at risk assessment or fear management. And I noticed I really had to step in to help them a lot more than than maybe some other students who may have been doing things since they were younger that involved more risk and they had to make certain assessments on their own. So this skill comes into handy quite a bit when you're an instructor and knowing how how to push or when to push your students is really important. I think the the number one thing with this topic is that there's no right answer <laughs> and every student's going to be different and you have to assess the student and the best the best place to start is start looking at your student and seeing how they're interacting with small amounts of risk from the get-go that's that's the number one thing you got to start to create a baseline and the more you start to actually look for these things in your student the more you'll be able to know how to interact with them with this with this topic
0: so a couple of weeks ago, I was teaching a, a never ever lesson to a kid that was a pretty good skateboarder, and and we've all had these lessons before where their idea of how fast they're going to learn is very different from the reality of learning to snowboard. Yeah, and this kid was used to risk. He was used to taking falls on his skateboard. He was, uh, you know, he was athletic, but he wasn't picking up snowboarding very fast. And uh, and I remember him like at one point I, I said. I think we should probably work on on a little bit more on your toe side edge on just finding some balance there. And he goes, "No, I don't think I don't really think I, I need to want, learn how to turn. I'm just going to go straight." <laughs> and you yeah, know, and yeah. so you're in that place like you're like, "I know this isn't safe." And so I managed this by keeping us on some lower lower terrain, a little flatter terrain. And man, he had some good slams. Like his idea of risk was very different. And we had to get to the point where he was like not <laughs> had the breath knocked out of him and was like Okay, I think I want to learn how to turn, right? And so, like managing that risk, like his the voice in his head said, This is low risk. I want to go up higher in the mountain. I want to go faster. I want to go bigger. I want to go, I want to go snowboard. And I was having to be the one holding him back and finding the way to do that. That's I mean, that's a classic lesson we've all taught,
1: yeah. do you notice this as being a different uh, northern hemisphere to southern hemisphere? I'm I'm dead serious. Like I notice this difference that in the southern hemisphere, especially especially like some some of the Kiwis, some of the Aussies, I think they're just more willing to give things a go. Sometimes, like, oh yeah, we'll just and, give her a go, mate. Yeah, yeah. And and I'm, I find myself in New Zealand. I'm always trying to pull people back from like from risk. I'm like, whoa, whoa, no, 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 no. Don't do that. Like, like, hold on, hold on. Let's work on some other stuff. And here in the States, I'm always trying to push people to push themselves a little bit harder. Have, have yeah. you noticed that? Or yeah. am I crazy?
0: 100%. And that's where I see our role is like the calibrator. We're like the metronome, right? We're the yeah. calibrator. Yeah. And people may have a different idea of where they are in their idea, their assessment of risk. And I, I think we are we often end up teaching here with a more risk adverse crew, right? Especially at the mountains we teach at, we may get some more lessons with people who um, have, you know, going back to, to a last episode, reasons that they are risk adverse. They have a career. They, they, you know, I've dealt, I've taught musicians who, are pretty afraid of injuring a limb.
1: Yeah. You break a wrist as a violinist. <laughs> Not, yeah, that, that is no go. That's yeah. a no go. That cannot happen. Right. Yeah.
0: Or yeah. you, you know, we've all, you know, you hear stories about professional athletes that come out and take lessons. Like there are people that are very risk adverse to, yeah. to what we're doing
1: a lot of athletes have contracts are not allowed to do dangerous sports while they're under contract, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's, that's a, that's a good point, but yeah. Interesting. It, it we, it, we have to be kind of the, the metronome back and forth. So I, I think, I think asking questions at the beginning of the lesson is one really good way about finding out other hobbies, other interests. I don't do that just for like lateral learning or teaching for transfer type stuff. I do that for, partially risk assessment, like how, how much risk have you been exposed to and how, how good are you, or maybe not good, but how well versed are you at trying to assess risk?
0: There was some research done a few years ago on fears related to trying new things. And, and three of the top fears related to skiing and snowboarding for people that had never gone skiing or snowboarding before was the fear of being cold, the fear of getting hurt and the fear of looking stupid. Really? Yeah, that's top so three of the top fears related to, to learning to ski or snowboard, and wow. and so you put that in context with what it is we do, and and it makes a lot of sense. Like that's your people come into their lesson with just their preconceived notions of learning to ski or snowboard, and they've already got those three things possibly on their mind, hmm. right? So you're coming in managing risk of being cold, managing the risk of, of looking dumb, of falling and being embarrassed, managing yeah. the risk of getting injured. And
1: interesting. That's like a whole another topic, like the the emotional risk, emotional fear we have to manage with students. Yeah, interesting. That's, and that's in yeah. both,
0: you know, quick segue into learning connection model, teaching skills and people skills. We talk about managing risk for our students in both of those, knowing our own emotional state, knowing our students' emotional state and how we can influence that. And in the teaching skills side, managing both emotional and or perceived and real risk for our students.
1: Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: So, but I do, I want to get into the other side of this, which is the, the instructor that's overconfident for their student. And I think this is one of the biggest dangers in what we do as instructors is when, when you, as the instructor, when your voice overpowers their voice in their head. Yeah. And if you didn't make an accurate assessment of their ability and you say, Oh yeah, you got this and you you've now put them into a more risky state because you misread their ability level.
1: I went through a period of that. Did it you? was um it would have been right after I got my level 3. I had tons of injuries in my lessons after I got my level 3. I pushed people way farther than they needed to and I was that guy you're talking about who was like, "No, you can do this" and I just thought my job was to be a cheerleader and tell people they could do anything and everything and just, just whatever's possible. If you put your mind to, you you know, like that type of thing. I was totally that guy. And I saw there, I had a period um, where I had a lot of injuries and I had to recalibrate and actually think about, you know, maybe my job isn't so much just to tell people they can do anything and be a cheerleader for them as, as much as it is to, I actually have to risk assess for these people and put them in situations where they're going to be safe.
0: We've, at, we've seen this a good bit in, in I think, in full cert and in trainers type situations uh, in the last few years. There's, there's a lot going on in, uh, in the emotional intelligence world and, and in kind of the, the achievement-oriented generation around positive mental attitude. And if you've got the right mindset, you can do it. And that whole like pump yourself up and yeah, you can do this and positive affirmation. And and at the end of the day, that can actually outweigh physical ability in a risky sport to a point that it endangers people. And it's something that I've seen quite a bit and it, it actually starts to, uh, it's something I've become pretty pretty aware of because, um, because there's people that use that too far and encourage people to do things that they shouldn't be doing. yet?
1: well, it's it's funny. There's there's like a balance, like with anything. And I, I find us like arguing both sides of the coin here. Like, well, don't be afraid to push your students, but but you need to make sure you don't cheerlead them too much and push them to do something they're not going to be ready for, and they're going to hurt themselves. I think like as far as tangible things for 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 an instructor to do is is. A, you need to risk assess for yourself, and you need to talk to your student, find out how much they know about their own risk assessment, and so you know when to step in. You might need to step in earlier or later. The second thing for me is they, you are, you need to teach them how to risk assess for themselves. I think like the last episode where we talked about thinking about the things that could go wrong and then making a decision to manage fear and then that good fear management will lead to good risk assessment as well. I think you need to teach your students that. And I know that the last thing I want to do is be able or, or not be able, but have to be responsible all the time for my student because they won't. They won't – I'm not going to be with them all the time and I need to teach them how to manage it themselves. So I do a lot of questioning in a lesson about, hey, well, do you think I should do this? And sometimes I turn it back around on them and I go, OK, well, what do you think the risk here is? What, what, what is possible that could go right? What is possible that could go wrong? What are the rewards if it goes right? And what is the, what is the risk if it goes wrong? Yeah. And, and make them – go through those things themselves. And that's a big piece of managing it with
0: your students. What you said is so key. That's so key. I think where I get worried about that positive mental attitude is because those instructors, those coaches, have put themselves in the place of making the decision for their student. Oh, yeah, yeah, you got this, bro. Versus asking them, I don't know, do you think you've got it?
1: But there's a place where – because sometimes I have students where – their their confidence level is way below their skill set yep. and i and i have to do
0: that right there's a place for that and that's where you're making an assessment right you're making an accurate assessment and i think the people that go to that that far end aren't taking the time to making the, make the assessment they're going with positive mental attitude for the sake of positive mental attitude because that attitude is going to over overcome obstacles and i think in some areas of life that's true i think there's areas where positive energy can create positive outcomes i think there's places where you can build your self-esteem up and you can do better in a job interview because you you pump yourself up before you go into it i think when you get into more inherently risky activities we need to be more focused on teaching and training our students to make that assessment and and to be the metronome right and in that metronome Ticks at an even beat all the time, so you're building them up because you've made that assessment that they are that you that they are ready. And I, we you know we actually cover it in the teaching skills fundamentals. We say we need to facilitate the learner's ability to reflect upon experiences and sensations. Facilitate.
1: We need to facilitate, but they're not always going to have the ability. We, we we need to facilitate their ability to, but we need to step in when they don't have the ability as well. And that's, I mean, that's. There's a place for being positive. And the last thing I want is, is anyone to think that one way is right or wrong. And you – every case is different. And I don't want anyone listening to this episode to think, oh, well, I should, I should never cheerlead anymore for my students and try to get them to do something that they might be a little nervous about even though I know they have the skill to. And I also don't want people to, to walk away – with the other side of that spectrum, which is I should always make them self-assess. And unless they want, you know, to do something and they decide on their own, like there's, there's a balance, the balance in there. And, and I, I don't know, man, it comes with experience. Like there, there's a lot of that where I, I feel like the only reason I've, I've gained any skill in it is through experience. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. How do you gain experience? How do you, how do you get better at this other than, other than experience?
0: So I, I think you look at it as a, as a bit of a spectrum. If you're a new instructor and you're sticking to your resorts, teaching progression and then what you're supposed to be teaching and, and where you're going to teach it versus the experienced instructor that gets a private and maybe they take it up, take that person up on the mountain onto a, a different piece of terrain, right? Like that experience Begins to give you a larger realm of wiggle room within within that window, right? The experience is what teaches you where where that person falls on their ability, and, and and gives you that 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 information to fall back on in how you're measuring their their skills. And the more skilled somebody is that you're working with, the more you need to be facilitating their ability to make that decision. With a new with a new student, we're making a lot of the decisions with a. Yeah. With somebody you've been snowboarding with for ten years, you're you're helping them continue to to learn how to how to make that those decisions themselves. And so I, I see it as a spectrum. Yeah. And and with new hires, I mean certainly when I've trained new hires, I want them to stick to that outline. I, yeah. Right. I'm not training. I don't. I have I have ten days to train someone to to be an instructor. I'm going to teach them what to teach, where to teach it, when to teach it, how to teach it. As you gain that experience, you start to learn, well, that little window is actually a, a gray zone. Yeah. And the more experience you have, the more time you've spent teaching, the more people you've worked with, you start to see like, oh, I can bend this here. I can skip this part of the progression. I'm going to fast forward here based on that individual.
1: Yeah. I guess, I guess the, the, the thing I keep coming back to in this conversation, because I keep coming back to like, what are the tangibles? Like what? What is something an, a, a new instructor could do to be better at risk assessment, healthy risk, and healthy fear, like in their students, assessing those things and encouraging them? And I keep coming back to get to know your student. Yeah. And and find out their background and find out the experience they have with fear and risk and and how often they interact with that. Because if it's not a lot of experience, and you're gonna, then you know you're gonna have to step in more. If it's more of that, you may be able to to loosen the reins a little bit. Um, another tangible takeaway for me is, is trying to get your students to self-assess, is making sure that they're um, coming to good decisions on their own. When they, when they have something they wanna do that you might think is one way or another, you can ask them, okay, what are the, what are the benefits? What, what are the risks of this? Do you still, you know, do you still want to try this? Um, and sometimes it goes the other way, where I know I've used this with a student who, who is not as confident as their skill is, and they're nervous about trying something that is very low risk, actually, but they have a high level of fear about it. And I'll do that same thing where I say, okay, well, let's talk about this. So you're going to try this 180 um, over this roller right now. What's what's the possibility of what could go wrong, you know, and maybe they're over overestimating the possibility of that. So forcing them to think about it, I guess it would be the, the two things. One is getting to know them. And two would be helping them do the, the, the risk assessment themselves along with you.
0: Yep. I think, you know, what you just said, getting to know them and 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 as you are that that voice on their shoulder, knowing how that's going to play out for them somebody who types on a on a keyboard as their profession is going to be a little bit more risk averse to injuring their wrist, right? So knowing that maybe you don't want to push them. Maybe that's not the person that you're going to push that extra little bit getting them some risk cards. So that, you know, like how else can you manage that risk help help them manage that risk. So there's a third element that I'd add there which is our teaching progressions. Our teaching progressions manage risk. And yeah. somebody just stomps, somebody just lands their first 180 off a jump and they go, cool, I want to land a 360. Yeah. Well, you went through yeah. a 180 progression. Let's step away from the park and now let's go through a 360 progression, right? Our, our progressions, the entire idea of our progressions of going through a motor learning cycle, of going through static, simple, complex free ride or um, static active free ride experimentation, right? Or exploration. That progression is designed to manage risk. And so, Relying on those progressions, going back to that when you need to so that you can create a safe environment to push people in little increments, not in big steps.
1: You just made me think of something that I hadn't really related to this topic, but I teach all the time is changing, changing someone's mindset to, I guess I would call it more of like a a, a lateral learning rather than a vertical learning like that situation you talk about where it's like, okay, I just landed my first 180. I want to land a 360. And it's, it's, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on. Like, what about, and this isn't true lateral learning, but instead of thinking purely vertical, can we think in other ways? And what about, what are all the different types of 180s I can do? And most people stop at, well, you can do front side, do backside, switch front side, switch back side. And for me, it goes through, no. Can you do a late 180? Can you do a fast 180? Can you do a 180 with a grab? Can you do a late 180 with a grab? Can you do a a, a fast 180 with a grab? Like what are all the other types of 180s you can do? And then once you've mastered all those, the chances of you being successful with the first 360 you ever try is really high and the risk and the fear typically drops way down. With that, that trying the 360. I remember when I used to try to try to compete, and um, I wouldn't let myself try. I think this is one of the best things I ever did. Was I would never let myself try the next spin above until I had three of the spins below. Like whenever I wanted them, anytime what I considered like dialed on lock. Whenever so I wouldn't try a 720 until I had three different 540s solid on any jump I wanted at any point in time and that was it and then you try your first 720 and you land it like first try because you've done so many 540s that the level of risk or the level of fear comes comes way down I think I think that's a tool is to think more more laterally or or diagonally rather than purely purely vertically
0: I I think that's such a great tool and did somebody teach you that or was that just like something you, you were like, oh, I'm just going to always do three? That was just me. I, I That was just, um,
1: I don't know where that came from, but I was I was never like, a, I never had any like big tricks that were like show tricks, like, oh my God, double cork, double backflip, whatever. I always scored well on like technical, like, holy cow, that was switch backside into another switch backside into like, you know, like I always scored high on technical and I think Somewhere along the lines, I probably got rewarded for being technical and I just thought, well, how can I keep this praise going for being really technical? And I just created that for myself. And it was a rule I stuck to for years, for years.
0: It, I think what you hit on is incremental progression. And so often, I mean, you, you relate that back to the beginner hill. Instructors are so focused on getting people off the beginner hill. Oh, you linked your first turn. It's cool. Let's go up onto the next run. Let's get away from the, from the carpet versus... Let's make 20 of those. And now can you make them over here? Can you make them really wide? Can you make them really short? Can you yeah. make them large radius? Can you do them with weight on your front foot? Can you do them with weight on your back foot, right? Like experimenting more with the with the with what you've learned yeah. is a way to to manage risk because you're building experience and building mileage without changing the task and and you know, to us we you ride the beginner chairlift 200 times a day and and the instructor starts getting bored of it, gets tired of it. They want to get to the next next piece of terrain where that beginner may still be happy experimenting and just need to be challenged through task, not through new terrain or not through new longer runs or or a bigger mountain. You can continue to change that task. And that's what you're speaking to is yeah you changed your task without changing the without changing where you were going with it. You didn't go to a 720. You wanted to learn other ways to do the 540. And I think so often we teach one way to turn and as soon as we got that turn, we go to the next piece of train.
1: Yeah, I, and I, I think the key is what you said is challenge. You, you, if the student's not challenged, or throw back to last episode, if there's not some some risk yeah. <laughs> involved with what they're doing, they're not going to learn. Like the last thing you want is boredom. So I think staying on the beginner hill is fine as long as they're not bored. Right. And and that's that's the key. And sometimes you get people who who truly are bored. And no matter, no matter what you do right now, they're, they're going to stay bored and that student might need to move move to the, to the upper hill or something like that. And you should use your risk assessment to look at their skill and think <laughs> if they're ready or not. But the key to me with what you said was, was challenge. You can challenge them in different ways, but they need to stay challenged so they stay engaged, so they continue to learn. And when people do are successful or overcome challenging things, that's why they come back. For more lessons that's why our sport will grow that's what a good instructor does so that that's like the meat of that to me
0: homework to the listener google flow state because that's exactly what we're talking about here is when you look at that graph of flow state it's not a straight line right you move you you, you move up on challenge as they get ready as they get more experience with that challenge that challenge becomes easier and easier and easier and ideally right before it hits boredom you move it back up into a new challenge and flow state is a huge part of teaching the beginner lesson or teaching any lesson, really managing comfort, challenge, boredom. All of that comes into the, the, that idea of, of how we teach in a way that that keeps things challenging and interesting, but doesn't challenge them so far that they're likely to get injured. Right. So you're managing that risk. That's what flow state's all about. Yeah.
1: Awesome. Great homework. And I know we got off again on a couple tangents, but I think it's good. Yeah. Um, so thank you guys for, for tuning in, and uh, I hope you guys find this episode useful. As always, if you have any um, ideas for anything, please go to our Facebook page and let us know.
0: Yeah, we'd love to hear how you manage fear, both for yourself and how you manage fear and risk for your students.
1: Great. Thanks so much for listening. All I Really Need to Know I Learned from Snowboarding is a podcast by me, Nick Alfieri.
0: And me, Chris Rogers. If you have thoughts on this week's episode, we'd love to hear from you. You can continue the conversation with us and other listeners on our Facebook page.
1: You can also email us questions, comments, or topics you'd like us to discuss at our email address, at gmail.com. If you're enjoying our podcast, please subscribe, write a review, and help others find our show. Thanks for listening.